0: Hey, if you've got your Bibles, I want you to go to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. I'm so glad to be in God's house today. So honored in, uh, you know, uh, that uh, you know, I missed a day yesterday. Actually, I didn't. I, I woke up really early uh, and uh, had, had an incredible day of just kind of rest and rejuvenation. Uh, yesterday, but wow, wow, wow! So love the outreach. Once you go to John chapter nine, we're going to spend some time in uh, in this the whole of this chapter today. And I want to I want to uh, start today uh, by by saying, you know, there is an anthem of of Christianity uh, that is that ha- has been sung again and again for several hundred years. And most of you probably either grew up or you have heard others sing this song called Amazing Grace, right? Do you guys know that song? All right, I'm ready for you to lead it. No, 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 no. I'm not going to do that. But um, there is a profound line in the very first verse that says, I once was lost, but now I'm found was blind, but now I see. Now I see. The title of today's message is just that. Now I see. Why, what would cause the hymn writer to, to, to pen such timeless words? Why is this comparison of being lost with blindness? And can we perhaps begin to understand who Jesus is and what he does in a greater way if we'll look into the miracles where he healed the blind? In John chapter 9, we get one of the most incredible stories, and I've got a lot to share with you about this today, but I, I am praying more than just a factual information or, or textual uh, truth. That I don't want you to just leave with that. I want you to have that. I want you today to leave with the fingerprints of heaven on your heart. The fingerprints of heaven on you. And I believe today that's exactly what Jesus wants to do. Now, John chapter 9 started this way. In verse 1, it says, Now, as Jesus passed by, every word matters, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And he, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? By the way, were the disciples so nosy? I mean these little gossips. They just want all the inside info. He says, who sinned, him and his parents? He says, that he was born blind. Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. He said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Interesting message. I'm the light of the world in the presence of a blind man who has never seen light. When he said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay. And he said, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Therefore, the neighbors and those who had previously seen that he was blind said, is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, this is he. Others said, he's like him. He said, I am he. Therefore they said to him, How were your eyes opened? He answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. Let's skip down to verse 35. Jesus heard that they cast this man who had been healed out of the synagogue. And when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. This story is incredible. It's filled with with wonder. It's the kind of thing that you you kind of wish you had been there that day. In this moment. But this is, is a great explanation of what happens in every human being who has ever been transformed by the ministry of Jesus. It's encapsulated in this story. Matter of fact, I want to encourage all of you here, read all of John 9 this week because you are going to find yourself at some stage of this story. Matter of fact, uh, there's a whole uh, part of this story I'm, I'm kind of skipping on, and that is when people really get changed by Jesus, You'll even make religious people nervous. Because they'll see change in you they don't see in themselves. And they would rather you not be in their company making them feel like they need to change. That's part of this story. Now... Let me give you some truths that you can find out about Jesus in this. I love this first one. Everybody needs to hear this today. Everybody in this room, whether you're you're far from God or whether this is the most most glorious time you've ever had in a relationship with God, here's the truth. Jesus sees you. Jesus sees you. I love this. It It says, now as Jesus passed by, he saw. He saw a man blind from birth. He saw him. Jesus was simply passing by. It was, the, the picture really is like he's on a mission. He's carrying out the will of his father. And in the midst of that, he sees. You know, a lot of people will say, you know, hey, uh, God's got bigger things on its plate. After all, The Middle East is falling apart. He's got bigger things on his plate than just my life. And what that is, that is a religious excuse to keep one from engaging with God. But I'm here to tell you that in the midst of God working in in, uh, in, in deep and dark situations, he is working to bring light and life. Uh, I want to tell you that in the midst of that, he sees you. He sees your issues. And listen, he sees your condition. That thing that hasn't been moving your entire life, that, that, that ache on the inside, that desire on the inside, he sees it. And he, what, stands still when it comes to your need. When you've been broken, though, for a long time like this man, decades blind, you begin to question, God, am I worth something to you? Jesus has already said, hey, it's not sin in his life. It's not sin in the parents. And by the way, that usually is the presumption of people around when you find yourself in a broken situation. Where's the sin? I think it's right for us to, to, to go on soul-searching journeys with God, saying, God, cleanse me, purify me by the Holy Spirit. But this is not that. And it could be that some of you were born into into a situation and you've been carrying a condition and there has been a brokenness that has been present in your life from the very beginning. And when you are facing that kind of struggle, here's, here's what most people do. They begin to ask this question, God, am I valued by you? I've heard stories of, 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 of you touching others and, and doing glorious things. I've heard the testimonies. I have heard about you, but here I am, God. I'm still blind. Here I am, God. I'm still in need. I'm here to announce to you today, God sees you and you are valuable. When, when humanity, God knew that, that we would question our value that we would, we would take clues from our circumstance and, uh, in this world and, and perhaps even the condition of our life and we would question our value before God. And yet Jesus comes along and he says these powerful words in Matthew chapter 10, verses 30 through 31. He says, when speaking of not worrying because God feeds the, the, the birds of the air, they never go in want he says, but you, the very hairs on your head were all, listen, numbered. This doesn't say counted. I mean, if they were simply counted, that would be amazing in and of itself, that God would know that Some of you have, you know, 50,000 hairs and others, five. (laughs) But this, I didn't say those five hairs were on your head either. (laughs) No, 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 no. He says, if you were to pluck one, that's hair number 14,222 they're numbered you're he's so interested in you he so sees you the intricate part that when a hair falls out he knows its number That's what it says here. And, and here's the question because many people question, does God really see me in my hour of need? This has been a question for a long time that God addressed a long, long time ago with uh, the father of faith. His name, Abraham. God's saying, I want to find a man. I want to do something in a people. I want a people who are my covenant people. And he begins to stir Abraham. And you say, why did God stir Abraham? Nobody knows. It was He was chosen by grace. God chose him and he said, get out from your father's house and go to a land which I will show you. And what did he do? He packed up everything not knowing where he was going and trusted a God he was getting to know. He would, by faith, give birth to his son, Isaac. You guys maybe remember the story. God speaks to him and says, listen, I want you to take your son to the top of Moriah. That spot of soil where missiles are flying today over that spot of soil on Mount Moriah. You want to go back about what what the conflict is all about? It goes back to this story. And God says, Abraham, take your only son to the top of that mountain, the range of Moriah, and I want you to offer your only son to me. The precious one, the one you've waited on, the one, the one that you have cried out for, the one that you it was 25 years between God's promise and the fulfillment of the promise, and now he's a young man. And there he goes to the top of the mountain, builds an altar, and he lays his son on the wood. And an angel comes and stops him. And God speaks to him and says, don't harm your son. Now I know that you'll withhold nothing from me. But notice what happened in the next moment on Moriah Genesis twenty-two thirteen 13, and 14 says, Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, The Lord will provide, as it is to this day, In the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. This is where uh, you get uh, the name of God. This is literally a name of God here that would commonly be known as Jehovah-Jireh. Great songs. Makes me want to sing Maverick City right now. Jehovah-Jireh. My provider. Listen, that's really good. Okay, wait. That's good. That's not exactly what Jehovah Jireh means. That's not exactly what it means. What this name of God literally means is this the God who sees and then sees to it. Uh, Let me say it in another way that you would would maybe more connect with this divination. This is the God who sees your condition and meets the need. But it begins with a revelation that you are seen by God and your need on this mountain. He said, on this mountain, it will be provided. Do you want to know what this this mountain, literally, Moriah was in the shadow of the cross. The place where the Lamb of God was slain, I'm telling you, it's a stone's throw to Golgotha. Golgotha sits on the north side of the Temple Mount. It's right over there. And it was there in the range of Moriah. That God provided his own sacrifice. So here's what I want to say to you today. If you've been questioning the presence of God, I am here to announce to you Jesus is passing by and he sees you this morning. He sees you where you are. He sees you in your brokenness and he is stopping by your life today. Regardless of your condition, Jesus sees you and has already provided for you. But in that provision, you get to the next thing and you'll find this, that Jesus not only sees you, he shines on you. Jesus shines on you. I love this. Another way of shining is influence. He says, Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. I love that. As long as I am in the world. And by the way, if you go back to Matthew chapter five, he gives us that title. You are the light of the world, a city on a hill which cannot be hidden. So, by the way, Jesus is still in the world. His body is here. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. What a wild analogy to use in the presence of a man who's never had light come successfully into his eyes. To describe to a person blind from birth light. That's quite a task And I love this It is in this moment that he says i'm the light and i'm about to shine on this blind man I'm about to influence him. I am about To do a work in his life. You say how does jesus shine on us today? Well, it's really simple by healing our brokenness by healing our brokenness. Can I just can I just awaken the church to this reality? Stop believing it is your lot in life to just carry around brokenness, especially in your own heart, to carry around shame, to carry around chains, to just be addicted, to just limp through. Listen, no. When Jesus shines, he comes and shines and heals our brokenness. You're not meant to stay where you are today. I believe the next step is growing even closer. The next step is going closer. Jesus said, listen, when he announced his first sermon, he says, listen, I set captives free. You're not coming into the kingdom just to simply remain in the jail cell you have been in your whole life. No, he said, I am here to heal your brokenness. This is the work of the Father through Jesus. And this is how he shines in us. And he heals our brokenness. And I love this. He does this in such an unusual way. Now... Please, for my very zealous Jesus followers, (laughs) this is not an invitation for you to do this. You better have a word from God if you ever do this. What did Jesus do to heal his brokenness? This is fascinating. It says... When he said these things, he spits on the ground and makes clay, and then he anoints the eyes with that dirt and says, "Go and wash in the pool of Siloam." I could literally spend weeks just on this, but don't you ever wonder just, okay, why mud? I mean, after all, we have other instances where blind people are healed with simply a word, be opened. Just a word, eyes be opened, not this one. I mean, if if Jesus was a redneck, it would have went. We'll see how much you want to be touched by Jesus. I'm just going to let you know, Jesus, he was from southern Israel. I'm just going to let you know. No, no, I'm just kidding. Why? Why mud? Well... I'm going to give you a couple of reasons. First, to show God, listen to this carefully, was working. That he was working. Now, you say, why is that important? Well, John nine fourteen, not in the place where we were reading earlier, it says this. Now, it was Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. It was on the Sabbath. Now, there are 39 pharisaical, uh, extra-biblical laws concerning work on the Sabbath day, what you are not allowed to do. The Pharisees added these, these overlays to the law to make sure no one would break the law on the Sabbath. And in one of those 39, it says this. It says, no one shall... Need dough on the Sabbath, for it is work. And here's the beauty. In Greek, the word for dough and mud are the same word. It's the same word. So when Jesus spits on the ground... And starts making mud. He was showing a world. A religious world. That God is working. Even when you think he's resting. God is working when you think he's resting. There is always a time in life. Where you are so broken, you think God's resting. He's trying to teach us a lesson here to those who are religious in the room. Listen, man-made religion always will put your healing off somewhere in the future. It will never be right now. But I'm here to tell you today that Jesus shows I'm available any day of the week. I'm available at all times. And so when he gets down and he begins to make and knead the clay, read the rest of John 9. The Pharisees lose their mind. Not about the healing. But you, you broke our tradition. You see, religion will just simply put off your transformation. It'll put off God's touch on your life. It'll put it off. Oh, I'll get myself together. Oh, I'll, I'll get off those drugs. I'll, I, I, I'll start. I'll stop turning to, to the bottle when I'm stressed. I, I, I'll stop. I, I'll stop. One day, Jesus will. No, no, no. I'm here to announce to you today, God has his spit in clay, and He's got His hands in the clay. When today. Today the bible says today is the day where salvation is worked Today is the day where god wants to do something supernatural in your life Today is the day where god says I will anoint you in a way that blows your mind Don't let religion rob you of a today encounter with jesus I love this it goes goes on but this is another reason why this this will blow your mind Why mud? Because sometimes we need to we need to remember that Jesus is not just the humble Galilean we see from the pages of of Mark and Matthew and Luke and John. He's not just this, this humble carpenter from Galilee. Why mud? To let everyone know he's the creator. Wait, you say mud? What does that have to do with opening the eyes of the vine? The first eyes God ever opened was in the mud. The first, you say, mud? I don't know if I see that. I'll explain it to you. You see, Genesis chapter 2 says this. And the Lord formed man of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. I don't know if you know this, but most of you, every time you breathe out, You are breathing out. Should the temperature drop in this place and the humidity be able to reflect it, all of us could see the water leaving our bodies as we breathe. The first time God ever opened eyes on earth, it included water on soil. He got down and he breathed into Adam. (sighs) And we're made in his image. When you exhale, by the way, uh, newsflash, this is why you need to drink water. You actually lose out of your mouth on an average day, out of your mouth and your armpits, about a whole bottle of water every day. Not to mention strenuous activity. But you don't don't understand that it's about 5% of your breath is water. And here God breathes on Adam. And listen, what does Adam do? He goes into spiritual blindness from sin when they sin suddenly they there there becomes a separation they're no longer like they would like they were you know and, and and now there has to be a separation but this day when Jesus got down and put spit in the mud he was announcing I am coming to open the eyes of Adam again he has been in darkness far too long I am bringing him into the light so he see me once again. Jesus came to end the spiritual blindness of fallen humanity. (laughs) Oh, it's incredible to know what Jesus did. But do you, have you thought about what the blind man's life was like that day? Blind. We find out later in the text he knows exactly who touched him. There must have been rumblings that day. Oh, here he comes. Jesus of Nazareth. The rabbi. The teacher of Israel. He's coming, he's coming. Can you imagine the blind man, his ears being so sensitive to every voice, because he has no sight. And he hears the footsteps of Jesus come close. And he hears the sound. And suddenly, he feels the mud being wiped into his eyes. You guys ever get dirt in your eyes? It's not comfortable. Listen, when Jesus starts to touch your life and begins to influence you, the first thing you feel is not comfort. It is He. You feel, you feel suddenly, oh. There is something foreign touching my life. There is something foreign, something I've never known, a love I've never known, a grace I've never known, a mercy I've never known, and I I don't know what to do. And he says in that moment, to a man who only has his hearing, go and wash in the pool. And I love that this is Baptism Sunday, because today... (laughs) those who Jesus has touched. They're going to a pool that the blind and the lame and the sick have gathered around for years. The blind man was having a lonely moment because he's left the crowd. I'm back at those waters. Pool of Siloam. This pool, the sick usually lay around it. But once a year, there's a great celebration at this pool. This pool is supernatural. It's actually called the Pool of Messiah. Why? Because when Hezekiah built it, it brought salvation to the city. Jerusalem now had water inside its walls. This was the place where spring water, the only place where fresh water flowed in the city. The tabernacle's priest would come and dip and take that water up to the temple and pour it out. And yet on the last day, when they ceased drawing out of that fresh water, Jesus, of that celebration, Jesus would stand up and say, On the last and greatest day of the feast, he would stand and say, Let anyone who thirsts come and drink. Let him come to me and drink. Listen, you drink of the pool of Siloam, you drink of that fresh water, you'll thirst again. But if you'll come to me and drink, I'm the real water. And suddenly this blind man, hearing this message from Jesus, go and wash. Suddenly he sees. Suddenly he sees. He sees for the first time. And at this miracle, they, they, they drag him immediately to the religious people. What numbskulls. This man's been blind his whole life. And the only way he knows his parents are by their voice. He would be reintroduced to his parents in this story when the Pharisees dragged him in. To say, is this your son? And they were like, yeah, that's our son, and he was, he was born blind, but how he sees now, we have no idea. Ask him for yourself. He would go on to say, you keep asking me, what, do you, do you want these waters? That's what he said. to the Pharisees. Do you too want to become his disciple? Do you too want these waters? You're, you're, you've been steeped in sin since birth. Get out. It's always what religious people say. To disqualify your experience in God. And I love what happens. Jesus goes and finds the one who's still dripping from uh, from obedience. The one who responded to what he said which leads us to the last thing that if you really want to be a person who sees you got to not only let Jesus influence you and direct you and touch your life but you need to let Jesus save you I love what he does he comes and finds the blind man after he's cast out and he says this to him he says do you believe in the son of god he's dripping he sees Who is he that I may believe in him is what the blind man says. And Jesus says this, listen, you have both seen him and it is he who is talking to you. I want to tell you today if you feel the drawing power of the Holy Spirit it's not Pastor Ada's talking to you it's Jesus talking to you. If you've realized that there are areas of your life where you have been blind to the work of God and the person of God and the work of salvation in Jesus it's not me who is convincing you. It is the powerful drawing uh, loving hand of God saying listen it is time to let salvation in. It is time to allow God to do in you what is contrary to everything the world says, everything the world says. No, if you'll do it this way, you'll see. If you do it this way, you'll see. Give yourself to this and this, and everything in the world leaves you blind. And yet, in this moment, the blind man can finally see and hear. And then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped. Romans ten nine through thirteen says this that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For Scripture says, he who believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. And the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see, Jesus, when he saves, he opens our spiritual eyes to see him for who he is, so we can believe and be saved. It's not enough for you to kind of mentally ascend to say, oh yeah, I I believe that Jesus is the Savior. I think. No, many people think Jesus is the Savior. They don't believe it. Why? Their lives have never uh, obeyed the call of God, that call of God, go and wash. Go in simple obedience and do what the Lord says. The first thing he says is repent, turn from sin. The next thing he says, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus. So what do we do? We think Jesus is Savior, but we don't believe Jesus is Savior. I wonder, do you believe today? I I know today that he wants to shine on you, but more than that, he wants to save you. And in this story, I believe we get a glimpse of the only right response to a loving Savior who sees us, shines on us, and saves us. And that is to to surrender to the love of Jesus and worship him forever. He is worthy of it all. If you're in the family of God, John chapter 9 has happened in your life. So you ought to be worshiping. And if you haven't, I believe today is the moment Jesus opens your eyes. So now you can see.